The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareton and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality, Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement, like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, you have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 World Championship. All right, here we go. Quintessential Podcast, wrapping up our August coverage in the summer as we turn the page to September. Welcome back to school. Uh, vacations are over, uh, everybody. It's kind of a busy time of year. I've got to end up going to uh, over to high school today for or parent orientation. My daughter is entering ninth grade as we welcome in Paul Carcaterra from his uh, from his home in Connecticut. And we welcome in Dana Boyle. She is uh, away from home in Ohio. Uh, we are previewing the PLL quarterfinals, which are coming up next Monday. It's on Labor Day. It's a pretty cool time slot, I think. Uh, Labor Day at Gillette Stadium. You got a triple header, 1145 Redwoods Chaos, 220 Water Dogs, Whip Snakes. Both those games are on ESPN Plus. And then at 5 o'clock, ESPN 2. Again, that's Monday, September 4th, Labor Day. Uh, it is the Cannons and the Atlas. Uh, Chris Cotter, Ryan Boyle, and Dana Boyle, no relation, will be covering. Uh, and we've also got uh, Charlotte North involved this weekend. Kark, you were just out in Salt Lake. Uh, how was the trip? The trip was great. The venue was rocking Zion's Bank Stadium, perfect size venue. I think it fit around 5,000 people. And the state of Utah and the lacrosse culture out there is certainly on the rise. And then you felt it, you Huge. know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when the when the archers were playing the water dogs and Jack Hanna hit that two pointer with, you know, I don't know, 20 something seconds left in the game. That was one of the best atmosphere type feels I've had being at a PLL game, like where you felt like the crowd was, was raucous. You know what I mean? Like you yeah, felt their energy. I felt it watching the clip. You know, I watched parts of all the games this weekend live, but I missed that portion, but I saw the clip and the crowd. I was like, Whoa, there must've been a lot yeah, of water. Dogs. Had one dad holding the baby up and bench pressing yeah. it. And like it was, was it, it was did, awesome. The water do you think the water dogs are the most popular team now? I don't know. I, I love the Water Dogs logo. Uh, I think I, I just think the game, it's just the way that that game kind of just had a life of its own in the comeback. And, you know, Zach Currier at the end just showed you why he's the best all around midfielder on the planet. I'm not saying he's the best offensive mid. He's not better than Tom Shriver or Dane Smith. But when you think of the total package to put that guy on a face off, Sisselberger wins it and he goes over his head and then gets a ground ball like it just shows you his value is different than everyone else's you know dana and, and paul both you know i covered that last year in salt lake i stayed in park city i think we've talked about this but i remember being at the games paul and like looking around bubba fairman they announced his name the place go, goes nuts 
like that valley now is starting to be populated by a lot of Easterners, a lot of California people. Oh, yeah. So lacrosse, lacrosse has grown there. But I met some fans last year. One was from Boise, Idaho, who drove to Salt Lake for the game. Another was from Las Vegas, who drove to the game. Like, you're kind of out there in the West, and things are spread out. But the fans, like, this is the one opportunity they get. Did You you got a sense that, that, that they showed up? I did. And I think... I think Salt Lake City, you know, now that they're going to eight teams with cities, uh, states, or regions, I, I think that could be a very, very smart play. Salt Lake has shown that they care about lacrosse. It's growing. You have, obviously, the Utes down the street. But that area, I think, is becoming almost like a, like, you know, like a Charlotte was a transplant city. Like, there's so much building. There's so many developments. There's so many businesses and and huge office buildings Far from Salt Lake. If you go from Salt Lake City all the way to Provo, I mean, it is one big stretch now off of that highway where there's just tons and tons of people. I love it out there. I go out there a few times a year in the wintertime to snowboard with the family. I took the red eye home thinking that my kid, my oldest son, Grayson, who's 16, I thought he had school today. He had another day off. My daughter started (laughs) school. I cannot wait for that yellow bus to come tomorrow. I cannot wait. I mean, going from a red eye to an extra day with Grayson was the kiss of death. I can tell. Okay, Dean, um, I got a, I got a question about Salt Lake and Denver. I think both can, can can both be a franchise, or do you think they share a franchise? Do you think they share a Rockies team, a Western team, or do you think they they're standalones? I would like to see them standalones. I do think that that is possible. I mean, think about think about what. Coach T has done at Denver and then think about players like Will Manny, Adam Gittleman, Bubba, who are out in Salt Lake, truly growing the game from a grassroots area. I mean, all of those guys grew up on the East Coast, went to school on the East Coast. And it's awesome to see the progression of them out in the West, even some women's players, Sam Geiersbach, who played for Richmond and then won a national championship at UNC. She's out West in Denver growing the game. Ali Mastriani played at UNC so it's awesome to see these amazing players who are bringing life to the west coast so I do believe that it can be a standalone and it's it's really rewarding and fulfilling to see the game growing on the west coast whereas I go out there also to ski and I've been doing it for the last five or six years and I would say six years ago when I started snowboarding at Park City people are like lacrosse you mean field hockey and now it's a total turn of vernacular dialogue. Clark uh as we wrap up the regular season, speaking or thinking ahead, uh, wh- wh- who do you think are some some strong possibilities to to uh, hosting franchises? What areas would, would you, if you were the commish, if you were Paul Rabel and Mike Rabel, where, where would you be looking to put the flag down in terms of, uh, you know, building fans? Great question. I think a natural fit to me would be Boston and bringing the cannons back to Boston could be a, a great play. The New England area really, really supports the game of lacrosse. And if you remember back to the MLL games and all those years that you were covering uh, the MLL, the Cannons had a following. Like they were one of those those cities that really backed their franchise. I feel like the Cannons would be one for sure. I think Philadelphia is an interesting spot. When we're there for championship weekend, they always show out. Uh, the question is, will they do that on a consistent basis? I think that area is booming enough to to really be able to to support a team lacrosse wise i mean lacrosse in philadelphia areas it's it's huge 
Then I think the Maryland area obviously needs one. Between D.C., Annapolis, and Baltimore, you find a sweet spot. You would know better than anyone what that sweet spot is to give Maryland a team. So those are three that come really, really natural to me. Uh, you have, obviously, the consideration of the Salt Lake Cities and the Denvers of the world that we were just talking about. Now, there's some interesting things um, that I'm going to add now. I think everyone understands that Long Island has always been a mecca for lacrosse. Some of the greatest players of all time. The volume in terms of how many kids are playing the sport on Long Island. I will say this, though. I've always been disappointed on how Long Island has supported pro lacrosse. So even though that's the mecca and it's it's the place that has churned out the greatest players of all time and the volume of the of the of the teams out there is crazy. There's hundreds of club teams out on Long Island. They've never shown me with conviction that they've been able to support a pro lacrosse team at the level they should. So what should be a no-brainer is more than a question for me with with Long Island. That's very I, fair. Yeah, I do think I do think that Connecticut is in a position to do well. Uh, if you look at the last couple of years uh, that the PLL has come to Rafferty Stadium at the Fairfield University site, done a great job. And there is a tremendous amount of lacrosse love in that area as well. So I, I think that between that and Long Island would, would have to be something that you really have to sharpen your pencil and say to yourself, like, where is a more logistical approach to, to creating a lacrosse team. Do both of them get it? I, I would doubt it. Um, but I think there's some no brainers in there with Boston, with Philadelphia, and then the Maryland area um, would, would be the three kind Charlotte? of no brainers for me. What about Charlotte? I wasn't at I was, that weekend. That was going to be my, that was going to be my ask, Dana, you know, the, the South, uh, if you went into Charlotte, are there any other Southern cities that you can incorporate? If you called it the Carolina, the Carolina team, you know, could you play in Charlotte? Could you play in Raleigh-Durham? Uh, could you play at uh, whether I had the women's championship, maybe? I like the Raleigh-Durham area. Just It's so accessible. The stadium at Charlotte that the PLL came to was the same one that the women's ACC tournament was at, and it wasn't well attended. Granted, it was during the week and school was in session, but Raleigh-Durham allows you – there's an airport there. It's easy to get to. There's a lot of college – teams men's and women's and then also a lot of youth teams around that area too so if you're going to draw that fan base which is huge I think it's a is a big piece of it I mean Baltimore to me that's south growing up in New Hampshire but I'm with Paul on the Connecticut I mean I was on the sidelines for that weekend and I had to put my double earpieces in because it was so loud and there were so many kids screaming for towels and balls but also for players uh, I was really impressed that was the first time I've been in Connecticut I've been to Rafferty Stadium yeah, uh, I finished up my season in Denver, and I got to tell you, the, the crowd there, it's a smaller venue, I get it, but people paid 50 bucks to sit in the end zone on a grassy knoll behind the goal. And the amount of jerseys that I saw, just like all, all summer long, like they got jerseys, like there's kids wearing Ian McKay jerseys. There's kids wearing uh, old Jack Near jerseys. Like it, it's nuts, Kark, the amount of jerseys we see. And it's yeah, not just, look, it's I, not I, just I, one it's guy. Awesome. I love it. It's not just, it's not, not all, they're not all Michael Sowers. So like every player. It's awesome. And I think what you need to take into consideration too, is there's going to be like a hybrid version and there's going to be a transition to this all rather than, you know, than asking Denver to host five weekends a year and the regular season oh, yeah. playing one yeah. opponent. So you're going to have that transition. So 
what you'll have in that transition is when Denver is hosting that one week, you're going to get the same kind of crowd, if not more. But what you're doing is you're giving instant fan base type of rooting alliances for every single person who's there that would be there in the past. You're saying, oh, I'm here to watch good lacrosse. Like when Denver's playing, they're going to go nuts. And, right. and that's how you build the fan base. And that's how you build kind of the foundation of a franchise in terms and, of just, just having those fans. And think of the coverage then on a, in the local market, whether it's yes. the magazines in town, whether it's the TV stations in town, the radio stations in town. They actually have a team they can cover through the course of the summer. So I think it's better for the sport of lacrosse to do it this way. I, I see them going to franchises which may initially play at multiple spots. Like you mentioned, Baltimore. You could play at Hopkins, you could play at Navy, you could play at Audi Stadium in D.C. and call them the Maryland something. Sure. Uh, you could have a franchise called the New York something and play on Long Island in Albany. You could play in Rochester or Syracuse or Buffalo if you wanted to under the banner of a New York franchise. Yes. Same goes for the Rockies with with uh, Salt Lake and Denver. I think questions for the league going forward, you know, is Texas viable? Austin, Houston, Dallas, I don't know. Southern California, I would love to go back to San Diego. I thought the San Diego, uh, where the World Games were, Clark, that, that stadium would be perfect. Torero Stadium. Yeah, and the, and the weather's the weather's ideal. And the weather's, the and the weather's ideal. I, I'm, I'm not as bullish on Texas, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to play I, indoors. I, it's, it's crazy humid. Yeah. I think the location was wrong. Like, I lived in Texas in 2015 and I would say that was just when things were taking off lacrosse wise and there's pockets of Texas that, that are huge and blowing up obviously like Highland Park our coach Presser coaches but like Capel, ESD where Charlotte went to school I think it just needs to be in a different location it can't be in the Cowboys stadium it's too big in my opinion like it needs to go to like a local high school which in Texas they look like mini colleges. Yeah, they do. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that's fair. Austin yeah. obviously is is growing as well. And there's a pocket in Houston. So if you, you know, if you use Quint's model, which I think is is actually brilliant, you call them the Texas so-and-sos, you wouldn't be pigeonholed to just Dallas. You could maybe figure yeah. out if it's Austin. If it's the Houston. challenges to me are in the Midwest. Like Minneapolis and, and that Vikings facility has really worked. Uh, can they sustain? you want to have five events there? Probably not. You know, would you use Chicago? Is indie, you know, I don't know. And then models uh, that include places like Portland, Seattle, San Francisco. Uh, and I st I'd still like to take the All-Star game. I'd like to be aggressive with the All-Star game. You know, taking it to Louisville is a positive. Take, take it to Nashville. Take Use the All-Star game to really branch out and try something crazy. Mm -hmm. All right, let's spin it forward. Dana, you're going up to Gillette. Game's on Monday. Cod you're with Cotter, Boyle, uh, and Charlotte North, and you got a triple header. Are you ready for that? That's a lot. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot. That's a lot on the feet. And if it's hot, it's, it's it's a lot. I'm the only one on this call who's done a triple header in pro lacrosse. I'm trying to think. My longest days are my wrestling days. So when those years that I covered last year at Denver was a triple header. Yeah. And I will tell you, on paper, it looks like it's manageable. A triple header is a long, long day. It's 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 like you get the feeling, Quint, you can you can connect this. It's like the Pac-12 after dark, where into the third quarter, you're a little concerned. Am I really 
Am I really speaking? You ever get that? You're like, wow, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually live right now. I better not say something stupid. And your brain isn't <laughs> connecting to your mouth. But then you say, is anyone watching? And they say, yeah, if I say something stupid, there will be a lot of people watching. Now, my, I... my, the, my most tiring day, the Kentucky Derby, where you have to wake up at 4 a.m. I had to be in the barns at 5 for makeup. And then I got off the air at 5 p.m. So it's 12 hours. And then my wrestling shows, I'm there at 8 and I get home at midnight. So that's... 16 yeah, hours we had it we had a triple header in denver last year it was i was there alongside with uh Cotter katie. and katie, katie george was on the sideline and it was katie poor katie had to deal with like 100 degree weather on the turf for three games yeah. what's the weather Dana? Dana, what's the weather it's supposed to be nice it's supposed to be in the sev- 72 is what the last time i checked That's but i did beautiful. a high school football double header last year week zero in fort lauderdale let me just tell you, a double header for football hits different than the double header in lacrosse, and so I feel as Way I'm longer. prepared. I feel like All I'm right, prepared. Let- the weather seventy. I have comfortable shoes. I've got sunscreen. I got a bucket hat. I got backups if needed. And you don't have a polo. No, I'm very anti polo. How much would it, how much would we have to pay you to wear that polo? Oh, would not very for, much. Would you do it for a hundred bucks? Yeah. You okay? So you're not that opposed to yeah. the polo. I like the polos. Uh, I don't. Okay, eleven forty-five. We got Redwoods Chaos. The K. Uh, what about the fight the other day with the Chaos, Clark? Well, look, I actually sat on the way home with Connor Farrell, or he was right behind me on the on the red eye, and we were chatting about it as well. And I said it on the broadcast. I don't think he had malicious intent. Nick Rowlett reminded me of a defense, defenseless receiver in college football, right? Had no clue where the contact was coming. And I will say, Connor Farrell did give a little bit extra nudge. And he's probably 60 pounds heavier than Nick Rowlett. I didn't feel like it was a full-charging, brutal type of, of hit that would warrant you know any type of game suspension. It was just a matter of, you know, the physics behind it. He's just so much bigger than Nick Rowlett, who was not prepared for that hit. And the fight was the was probably the realest fight that I've seen in PLL. Some of these fights that I've seen. <laughs> As opposed stuff, to the fake fights. Yeah, some of the fights. It's like, really, man, come on, let's get on with this. This is ridiculous. Uh, but that one, to me, like, had some venom. It had some venom because you had Nick Rowlett whose older brother Jack is on the other side. And if you watch him, he races in there, man. And he causes, he causes hell, man. He was, he was, he was ticked off. Rightfully so. It's his blood. And I asked him, I was like, we got to go under the helmet with Rowlett because he was our, he was our guy. I asked him about the fight too. Um, And he was talking about the toughness behind it. But you know, the fight was one thing. I will say with the chaos, watching them play, you know, a couple things stood out. They had six Canadians on extra man when they went extra man or when they went on the power play. They have veterans all over the place offensively. I think Andy Towers has settled on a veteran offensive group. And let's be honest, Blaze Reardon isn't going to get the MVP this season because of the continuous body of work of guys like a Tom Schreiber that will probably beat him out, although Blaze is a finalist for the award. Let's be honest. There's not one guy on any roster that you'd rather be riding into the playoffs other than Blaze Reardon. Because, I yeah, mean, when Blaze plays draft. the goalie position, I've, you don't see him play bad, but he does have the potential to completely take over a game 
And he's so calm. He's so comfortable in his goalie skin. His outlets are amazing. So I don't even have to think twice. If you ask me who's the one player that you want to ride with going into the playoffs, it's Chaos's goalie, Blaze Reardon. And the second place person isn't even close. Yeah, he has not had a Blaze-like summer, although I think he's had moments. I think the World Championships made it difficult for a lot of the Team USA guys. But it was it was encouraging to see that he finished up strong. He has been vulnerable from two this summer a little. Yeah, he has. Uh, I think he's allowed but, the most twos. But Blaze is Blaze. Uh, so Redwoods chaos. I, I, the Redwoods, I think the chaos will be a little, will be, should be a, a favorite in this game. I, I would lean towards the chaos, but I do have respect for the Redwoods. They, uh, I, I, Dana, to me, it comes down to like midfield scoring for them. If, if they, you know, Pinnell and, and Ryder can only do so much. I like the defense. Their specialists are good, but, you know, without midfield scoring, I don't think you go anywhere in, in pro lacrosse. Right. And that was the problem, I would say, earlier in the season for the Redwoods. They just had no flow and they were relying on Pinnell too much. But what I loved from the Salt Lake weekend was cursed going after Danny Logan with absolutely no fear on the offensive end. Kark, you mentioned it on the broadcast, but like this kid is playing with a ton of confidence and it's helping the whole team. And so, yeah, he has passion. He's a great teammate. He's been in and out of the lineup. And then you have a kid like Kurtz that just comes in like guns a blazing. And there's a reason why they've won the last three straight. And I think he's a big part of it. I think Jules has a little bit more responsibility and he's a really great player. He, you know, attackman to midi, he could do it all. So I do think it's going to take that whole midfield. You can't be predictable with Pinnell all the time. He's a great player. And then Westberg just like comes alive and they're really fun to watch. Yeah. I think they have chemistry. They have defensive chemistry as well with Eddie Glazner Arden Cohn and Garrett Apple might be the defender of the year. He leads the league and calls turnovers, or at least he did heading into the final week. This is what I'll say about Cole Kirst. We talk about his energy and how great of a kid he is and his passion. When he celebrates, it's different. The game means so much to him. And that is contagious inside of a locker room. And I think it's so nuts that there's a rookie that might have some of the biggest impact on a locker room, possibly. I mean, he's a finalist for teammate of the year. He's missed a couple of games. So you could talk about him as a, as a person. He's missed a couple of games because he was drafted and then they sat him out a couple of weeks and we're figuring out, was he a pro type player? Chew on this for a little bit. If it, coming into the season, if you said, here are some midfielders, you have Miles Jones, you have Sergio Perkovic, you have Charlie Bertrand who played on Team USA, you have Jules Henningberg, Nakai Montgomery, and Cole Kirst. If I gave you all of those players, those six, and I was to ask you, who will be the most consistent and leading goal scorer of all of them? How many people would have said Cole Kirst? He's the only midfielder on the team in double-digit goals. He's become like their go-to guy. I mean, Charlie Bertrand has the potential to be that, but he's been nicked up. Cole Kirst, talk about him as a person all you want. Production-wise, he's their best midi. It's crazy. Yeah. To think about a summer ago, he's out in Ireland playing for the U-20s, okay, as an attackman who could only pass and not run by anybody. Goes to Syracuse where they play him at attack for most of the year, right, Kark? And then they ran him through the yeah. box a little towards the end. Really, again, really couldn't run. And now all of a sudden he's running by pros. He's running by shorties, understanding that nobody is sliding or double teaming him. Well, they're going to have to. They're going to have to start doing that. Uh, I, again, I can't ever recall uh, a rookie surprising so many people the way he has. There was no expectations he, he, for this kid. 
No, he's a beast. And also, let's just think about this. When he was in and out of the lineup, Park, we were on the uh, games in Connecticut. He's not dressed. He's in street clothes. He's handing out water to his teammates with a freaking smile on his face like he just scored 10 goals in the game. Like, that is somebody that you want in your locker room. And when they do well on the field, that is infectious. Yeah, so, like, he's only he played in 7 of 10 games. He's played 7 of 10 games. And he's the leading goal scorer from the midfield. He's the only midi with over 10 goals on the season. Yeah, I, I would agree from Quint's initial point about midfield production. That is the biggest question. If Cole can get something going in terms of his dodging ability, if Bertrand isn't as nicked up, and obviously Jules is a big part of it too. The one player that I think the status is, is real in terms of checking on this week is Nakai Montgomery. Yeah. He took a really yeah. hard hit. He was in pain. Uh, you know, we didn't see him again return to the game. His presence is is felt from a two-way standpoint. And if you take him out of the lineup, then you start getting a little creative. You put a little bit more on the plate of a Brian Tevlin. And I just don't know if they have those kind of guys from a depth perspective to play two-way. Well, yeah, maybe we'll see Sergio Perkovic back as a, as, as a D-mid, as in a tra transitional guy. So that's game one, Redwoods Chaos, 11.45. Then Dana, we segue to 2.20. On ESPN Plus, it's a Water Dogs and the Whip Snakes uh, live from Gillette on Monday. Uh, these two teams seem like they're kind of going in different directions towards the end of the season. Would you guys agree with that? The Water Dogs seem like they're trending positively. Maybe the Whip Snakes. You think about their dynasty. Is there is there destiny? Uh, is the sun setting on their destiny? I I mean, we all know Coach Stagnita. No one love him. I'm I want to hear from you, Clark. What was the vibe like from the Whipsnakes? I was really surprised that they put Bernlar back. That's not discrediting how he is as a goalie, but to me, Krebs was playing really well and Bernlar's out for a significant amount of time since Connecticut, since we did the games at Rafferty Stadium and then they plug him back in. Yes, uh, yeah, and I'll answer that. Kark, Kark, I need to answer to that end. Why are they going picking up Jackson Morrell in, in a trade? That yeah, smells, like, des that. smells so, like desperation to me. I, I think it was the timing. And, Dana, you make a good point about Krebs. Krebs was playing really well, over 55% on the season. It was the timing of Bernlar getting healthy and Krebs maybe playing his worst game at the same week. So Krebs the week before heading into Salt Lake, he only saved 48%. So if he was coming off another really big game, I think it would have been easier for Staggs to say, all right, well, maybe we have something here. Maybe we continue to go with Krebs. That didn't happen. Bernlar is the reigning goalie of the year. And when yep. he got hurt, he was saving at like 55% too, which is really good. The only starting goalie in the league under 50% this year was Kincan. The goalie play has been really, really good. Scannoni even was the bright spot for the Chrome. But the one thing that I took away is for Stags, turnovers piss him off more than any coach in the league. <laughs> like it, it was, it was evident when we listened. Yeah, don't to him, beat ourselves. They've always, oh, yes. they've always it was driving him crazy. They and they were a hot mess. Game. Yeah. They were a hot mess with turning the ball over, especially from the midfield where they never let it go into the, the flow of their offensive set through the attack. You know, Jackson Morrow, I think Staggs is hoping that Jackson Morrow could be an X presence because in all the years that Staggs has had the, the whip snakes, they've really won on defense and they've won with some Matt Rambo dodging from above goal line, extended some opportunistic play with guys like Chanichuk and then you have middle of the field game wreckers like an Earhart. He's never really had an X guy. I think his thinking with getting Jackson Morrill is you can get a true X guy who's two handed 
The ball can go through him at X, and then you have opportunities for ball reversal where now or prior tomorrow, when it gets to Zed on the right wing, it kind of marinates in the right wing a little bit. When it gets to Rambo on the left wing, it kind of marinates. Now, marinating is not always a bad thing. Marinating sometimes gives you the juicy play, right? But I think he's thinking holistically. Jackson Morrill will give them that X presence and open up more for Zed Williams, open up more for, for Matt Rambo. The one thing that I didn't like about this move is, you know, it's not so easy to just plug an attackman in um, and, and ask him to play midfield. And Zed Williams was playing midfield in Salt Lake City, and he looked out of sorts. It's the same reason why Grant Ament playing, playing midfield for the Archers, he's not a midfielder. Let's be honest. Grant Ament is an ex-attackman. He does w- well when the ball's in his stick and he's conducting the offense. When you run him through the box, and now it's a shortened shortened shot clock because you want to face off or you just cleared the ball. It, it doesn't have the same kind of result. So I just worry that when you put a guy like a, like a, a Zed Williams at midfield, because if you go with an attack of, of Will Manny and Rambo and, and Morrill, and then you, you know, and then you switch Zed Williams, you put him at attack and you ask Will Manny to play midfield. I, I think you lose some production in those spots. Dana, tell us I about, the- yeah. Tell us about the whips or, or, or the, or the water dogs here. For the whips, I think Kirk, you made a good point. It is, I do get great entertainment on the sidelines when the ball gets turned over and, you know, Coach Dagnita has a very dry sense of humor and um, gives a good eye roll. But the person who's not turning the ball over is Mike Cannonjock. I think he's playing phenomenal. So I think it'll be interesting to see how he plays with Moral, if that gives them some sort of boost. Um, I think he's been playing really well. You're, um, you're spot on I, with that because Mike Chanichuk has four turnovers in 228 touches. Really? So, yes. Yeah. Staggs is probably like, he's probably drooling when Chanichuk's on the field and some of those other guys he wants to strangle. Or when they don't, uh, when he's in the huddle and some of the younger guys aren't listening. Oh, he, he put, I think it was even Will Manny in this place. Will Manny says, who do you want out there? He's like, don't you worry. I'll tell you who I want up there. Like he's, he rules with an iron fist and his, his record or his track record and his, his experience in the league warrants that. So I would listen to Staggs and I'd follow his lead. Okay. I will say, I will go, go on. Is a really nice guy. Staggs is bigger than, his bark is bigger than his bite. He's a good, he's a, he's a wonderful good dude, person. He's a wonderful guy. I ain't and I ain't turning the ball over, and I'm not making any mistakes. The whip snakes. Matt Rambo's got to be Matt Rambo. Michael Earhart's got to be Michael Earhart, and and some of their defenders who are getting a little up there now. Tim Muller, Matt Dunn, Bryce Young. Uh, the Maryland contingent's got to pick it up a little. You know, it's interesting because the whip snakes always had great regular seasons. And then the playoffs were their question marks. Maybe this year they've kind of sandbagged the regular season. They've used the Andy Towers method, regular season, <laughs> sandbag it. And maybe there's more there. I don't know. I don't know. Are the Whipsnakes toast or, or, or are they going to make a late push here? We'll, we'll, we'll see. Five o'clock ESPN two. It's a big one. Cannons and Atlas. You talk about first year coaches in the league. Mike Pressler, head coach of the Atlas. What are they? Two and eight. Cannons, Brian Holman, they what seven and three, I believe. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's got to be coach of the year. It's an amazing story because it happened right in front of our eyes. And I, somewhere along the line, I thought they were going to kind of like 
kind of level out or bottom out and kind of come back to the pack a little. They haven't. They've just They've continued. They've won six of their last seven. They've just continued to soar. It's uh, it's really amazing. And to me, and to me, the podcast I did with Coach Holman a, a few weeks ago, and if you haven't heard it, if you're in the coaching business, the leadership business, you've got to listen to it because I was fascinated with Brian Holman's leadership, uh, his abilities, his skills, his beliefs, his his core tenants, so to speak. Uh, it was one of the better discussions I've ever had with a coach. And uh, it's it's really amazing. Dana, what do you sense when you're down on the bench with the Cannons? Well, I think starting with Coach Holman, uh, there's just an immense amount of gratitude. And you get that when you're on camera talking to him and you get that when you're off camera talking to him. And he has created culture. There is a culture on the Cannons team and there's a sense of gratitude. And, and what I think is most interesting is that they don't have a video game type player like a Ryder Garnsey. They don't. And so they rely on stars but it's a shared experience. So it's not just Asher Nolting. It's Marcus Holman. You know, it's Jonathan Donville. It's Colin Curse. There's just a lot of players working together and, and you sense they need each other. And I think that does make a big difference. Um, and it, there's a lot of joy. I mean, I know Matt got hurt, but he's a beast and they're just playing team ball. And I know that sounds like coach speak, but it, it makes a big difference. Yeah. I look. It is the story of the league and there's not even a, a close second. It's, you know, it's, it's evident that the cannons are the story. And I'll tell you why heading into the season, they had two draft picks, no Lyle Thompson, maybe the best player in the world. He's not playing. You look at their roster. I'm the first to say, and I've told Brian Holman this multiple times since his success of the season. I didn't think they were going to be any good. I thought they were going to be a dumpster fire. The two open positions between the Cannons and the Atlas, I would have laughed if you gave me an opportunity to coach one of those teams. I would have said Atlas every single day based on everything they had. The Cannons had nothing. They were last in scoring last year, last in assists, last in shooting percentage, last in power play. Well, guess what? They're first in all those categories this year. They have the most touches in the league. They are cleaning house on every metric that you'd want for winning lacrosse and last year they were the polar opposite it tells you a few things it says chemistry in sports is a really really powerful thing and people who aren't in that locker room have no clue what's going on and the belief is real there because they lost their first two games and you thought okay like yeah maybe they have more chemistry and they're improved but they're still not a real team in this league well they are a real team for many reasons. Asher Nolting is a bona fide star. And if Lyle Thompson was back and he was playing with Asher Nolting this year, Asher's ceiling and his potential to take over as a quarterback probably would have been stymied. Let's be honest, because Lyle's a ball dominant type player who needs the ball in his stick at all times. Now this offense has shifted gears. And if you watch Jim Mitchell as a first year offensive coordinator, he's one of the best offensive coordinators in lacrosse. His offenses, whether it's at Princeton in the college season or in the pros of the Cannons, it's predicated on ball movement, touches, and getting to the middle of the field for your shots. So now your worst shooting percentage team is now your best within a calendar year, great in part to, to Jim Mitchell. So this team has been unreal in terms of how they've been selfless, how they bought into a system, how they have the culture and chemistry of a head coach like a Brian Holman. They're checking all the boxes, and they're also hitting on some players. Ethan Rawl wasn't even drafted, 
And he might have yep. thrown Mike Earhart this year for the long stick midfielder of the year. And and going into the to Salt Lake, he was second in the league with calls turnovers. I haven't seen the stats. He was only one behind Garrett Eppel. He had the two biggest plays of the game last weekend. This guy is an undersized short stick or long stick defensive midfielder that no one wanted to draft. And now he might be the league's best. So they've hit on some players as well. Yeah. Speaking of Ethan Rawl, I was talking to Brian Holman in Denver and he said that he called Ethan Rawl and he was in a Wawa. Like he was in a Wawa and he was like, Hey, I want to give you an opportunity to come out and make a spot on the team. And when I spoke to Ethan Rawl, he's like, Coach Holman actually gives me the space and the ability to play my game, like allows me to stretch and have some range. And I think that's another credit to Coach Holman. Like he's not trying to fit some of these players into a box. Like he's allowing them to be who they are and their natural talent. And I think it's all flowing. And sometimes that doesn't happen on a team. Look, but I think it's really play, he made he and, made a play. He made a play against uh he made a play against the whip snakes when the whip snakes were on the power play. And I think it was Brad Smith was well behind the two-point line early stages of the power play you're thinking just suck in and let them get into their sets and play smart conservative defense he jumps brad smith takes the ball from him picks it up goes coast to coast and scores with a with the player down i mean and, and he made another big play late in the game as well too he is all over the field he's one of those guys that has unbelievable lacrosse instincts you look at him, he doesn't pass the eye test in terms of what a long stick midfielder might look like in the PLL, but he is a he's a bona fide star. Be interesting to see how the uh, league awards shake down. Jack Kielty is a guy on defense who's had a, an amazing summer as well. Bubba Fairman should be a first team all yeah, league. Yeah, he leads uh, the league in short stick defensive midfielder calls turnovers. He definitely he, should be. He, he, he's been terrific. Zach Goodrich has, has always been great, and I think those two guys have really added some some – uh, cement to that defense, so to speak. Then you have the Atlas, two and eight. I think they've lost what five one-goal games along the way. Seemingly, kind of lost their confidence. Maybe kind of forgotten how to win. Their transition defense was awful early in the year. It's gotten a little better, but still, they just give up goals. Uh, you know, you mentioned Jack and Cannon's save percentage. I don't put much of it on him, Clark. Man, he 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 gets lit up. Uh, I, I don't care who you put in the net. The, the guys are getting – they're getting really good shots against the Atlas defense. So, I think the Atlas D, close D, has underachieved. Trevor Baptiste has done everything he could possibly good, could do. He's had a record-setting season. It's just a tough read. Can the Atlas bounce back one more time, you know, in an elimination game? Maybe they just take a deep breath and say, what the heck, and try to pull off the upset? Because yeah. you go back to Albany in June, and someone said the Cannons will be favored over the Atlas in the playoffs, and the Cannons will be 7-3, and three, and the Atlas will be 2-8. and eight. What would the odds of that be? Like 200 to 1? It, it would have been laughable. Laughable. And the, the Atlas, as much as we talk about the chemistry of, of the Cannons, we question the chemistry of the Atlas, right? This team has the most turnovers in the PLL. They're allowing the most goals. So that tells you two things. Offensively, when you turn the ball over more than any other team, you're losing your flow, especially with a short shot clock, right? You're never really getting into your offensive sets when, you, when you're turning over the ball more than anyone. And then you allow the most goals. You, you kind of question the chemistry of the defense. Yeah, no, again, uh, they've really underachieved compared to where I thought they'd be. I, I like their offensive personnel quite a bit. And, they, and, they, and I think they have, obviously, with Trevor, you think that he'd feed them. So that, that game's at 5 o'clock on ESPN, too. 
Dana, anything we should know about the broadcast? Cotter, uh, Boyle upstairs, Charlotte North uh, going to do a, a game or two? Yeah, Charlotte's going to hit a game on the sidelines and then hit a game in the booth with RB. So I'm excited to have her on the call. She brings an awesome perspective. And she just got finished playing Athletes Unlimited season. Obviously, she crushed it as we all watched her. But I'm excited to work with Cotter and RB. Cotter has some sort of medal that he won in his men's league. Yeah, so I, I don't saw know that. If that'll he won yeah, the it was like the, it was the, men, the men's league, but it was the Division Two men's division league. Division like, Two, that caught my eye. What's the, like, there's who, a division what, is, one, what does two? that mean? Who, like, who's who plays in the Division Two league? Who plays in the Division One league? I don't. I don't know. He, I don't, you know, he po- medal. He po- yeah, he's ahead, posting Q. medals on Instagram. It's it's like, well, how was he? But 16? old. It says old man. It's like old man league. I'm like, why do they? Oh, even you know, what, the on? Division Two old man league is probably the guys who are in creatine. Car, by the way, uh, he also posted a picture of the two of you, and you look like you're on creatine. You've been you've been hitting the weights this summer. Yep, I'm flexing right now. The people won't be able to see it, but <laughs> yeah. am I right or am I right? Well, I, you I know what I've been getting... reading, Quint. No, I haven't been killing myself that much, but I'm reading a lot. Like as you get older, and I'm getting older, they say that lifting weights is critical for for you and your health. I told I told you that ten years ago. Told you that ten years ago. And why are you as skinny I, as a blade of grass? Oh, dude, this is this wrong. is. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, you're ripped. You're ripped. You're ripped. But like, you don't you don't have any meathead to you. Oh, because that's just because really. I do some cardio. It's because I do he cardio eats, and eat, eat nuts, at, like right here. Dana, what about it's you? Bird, it's bird we gotta, feed. We um, got to get you in the weight room. You've been doing too much of that hot yoga. You're gonna shrink. I'm gonna have nuts. to look at that picture from uh, Cotter's post again because I don't know if it's the weights or all the gobblegool and mozzarella I've been eating the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, semifinals uh, the following week. What is that? Sunday, September 10, right at Hofstra, double header card. Yes. Yeah. Is yep. uh, any of that uh, ESPN or ABC? Uh, there's one one of the games is on ABC in the semis, and then the finals is ABC, which you'll be at the finals, right? Yeah, I hope so. Sunday, September 24th. Uh, that's at the uh, the Philly Stadium. That's really in, what, Delaware, Philly? Yeah, right on that uh, bridge. Under the bridge. Uh, that'll be good. Sunday, September 24th. I think it's a 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock game on ABC. Yep. So good luck, Dana. Enjoy Gillette. Uh, I wonder if Coach Belichick will show up. You know, I did grow up a Patriots fan, so – that would be pretty cool. Oh, t- uh, Tom Brady, you and Coach Belichick on Rabel Row would be a great interview. Yeah, it would. I might have to. I think I would be a little nervous to interview Coach Belichick. His no, daughter's he's a, a great guy. Honestly, he loves lacrosse. Honestly, if you're talking about lacrosse, you'll be so at ease. If you if you bring up football, you've got no shot. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> his daughter's so, the head coach of lacrosse. Yeah. For Bill last. Belichick's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And like Quint says, I've had I've had a bunch of conversations with him and have met up with him. And when you talk about lacrosse, man, he'll go deep with you. He loves it. You ask Absolutely. him if it's too deep or who's starting at linebacker, you might as well just walk you'll, away. You'll get shut down. I, I, ask him, uh, coach, when you retire. When, when he's now he's gonna he's gonna become the NFL's all-time leader in wins, and then he's gonna retire. Is he gonna be coaching a PLL franchise within five years? That's a very fair question because I, I can honestly see it happening. Okay, I'm down. That's going to be my first question to him. Well, Dana, thank you for the uh, – we're talking like less than a minute uh, acknowledgement that we're actually doing this. Kark, I appreciate you pushing this to uh, an earlier taping. Anytime. 
Good Don't to see quit. everybody. Enjoy uh, the first weeks of college football. Carp, where are you on Friday night? The Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta for uh, nice. one of the kickoffs. Louis- Louisville, Georgia Tech. Oh, I was just oh, in nice. Atlanta la- last week. It was like 105 degrees every day. Stayed at a great hotel. If you get to uh, a Piedmont Park, it's a great place to go for a jog. Piedmont Park in, nice. in Midtown. It's about 150 degrees. Maybe I'll do that. I'm heading to Texas A&M where it's going to be 105. So Who do they good play? luck, Dana. Good luck in Gillette, Dana. Who do the Aggies have? Uh, Aggies have New Mexico. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Enjoy. Don't Thank quit. You. Don't quit. Beat them to the end line.